Welcome everyone to Be Better Betters. I'm the host, Spanky. Thanks for listening. My guest this week is a legend amongst legends in the Nevada bookmaking scene. Leroy's American Wager U.S. Bookmaking. He's worn so many hats across all different aspects of his business and is so well respected by everybody in the industry. Please welcome Vic Salerno. Vic, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing terrific. How you doing, Spanky? I'm all right, Vic. Thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate it. No problem. Loves it. So, Vic, I like to start from the beginning. Um, how was life growing up? Uh, life growing up was pretty good for me. It was during the fifties and then sixties, uh, and I was uh, born in L.A., California, and raised in the San Fernando Valley. And went on to go to Milwaukee Dental School, practiced dentistry in Southern Cal for about eight years, then came here to Nevada to work for my father-in-law then, uh, Leroy Maryland. And from then on, yeah, well, you, we, we can go along, thank you as you want. How much do you want me to tell you about each one? All right, no problem. So you, uh, you grew up, uh, you were born in L.A., you grew up in California. Um, how was how how was was there a big gambling scene on the West Coast? How was it back then? Well, I let me put it this way: I knew how to read a racing form before I knew how to read the Bible. Uh, <laughs> my parents, uh, my dad, and uh, my uncles all loved the horses, so we always had a racing form and learned to read the racing form at a very early age. They were upholsters in Southern California working for people like Barbara Streisand, Johnny Carson, things like that. And every day at noon for exactly one half hour, we played poker. And uh, it was only nickel-dime stuff, but that's how I learned poker, too, when I was young. It was a pretty great uh, childhood for me. Uh, I loved it. thought it was, their times were great. Everybody was fine. It wasn't a gambling was that big of a part. It was just an accepted part of our life. Wow, that's fascinating. That's great. Um, racing seems to be a part. A lot of people that I've spoken to, um, racing is always that seed that kind of brings everybody into the gambling. Did you used to go to the racetrack a lot? or? Oh, yes. In fact, yes. We would go to all the Southern California tracks, but in those days... Uh, the only racetrack that would run on Sundays was Caliente in, uh, in Mexico. So we would go down there and play what was then called the 49er, which was a, which was a predecessor to the original pick six in horse racing. So on Sundays, we would go down to Caliente and watch the horse races there. Uh, it, it was great time, beautiful Still is a beautiful sport. It's just that people don't take time to get involved. I think it's a little bit, except for uh, a couple of minutes where the horses are racing every half hour. It's a little bit slow for the new generation. Wow. Okay. Great. So you're growing up in LA. What do you, uh, you know, career choice, career wise? Um, what, what what track are are you going towards? What what interested you um, in high school and, and possibly through college? Well, it's always. Uh, I had uh, a cousin, and she she worked for a dentist in in the San Fernando Valley. And always, my family always wanted me to be a dentist, so I guess I went ahead and followed that, and then uh, went to Marquette for four years. Uh, froze my ass off, as you can imagine, coming <laughs> from Southern California. I I never had a coat, so it was quite an experience going back to Milwaukee from LA. And, um, but I was just told that nobody in my family had ever even been to college. So I was the first one to hit that level, much less uh, professional school. So you, you went and you studied dentistry? Yes, I did for four years and uh, from 1966 to 70. In fact, it's our 50-year reunion from dental school. That's how old I am. And, uh, 
it was during the times, if you remember, when Al McGuire was the coach of, at Marquette. Great years. Yeah, and uh, had some pretty good teams back then. They still do today. Wow, that, that's so... so when, well, go ahead. And just to go on a little bit with... In, in dental school, uh, myself and another kid, we would run the parlay cards through the dental school. And we'd <laughs> use the, uh, we would use the mimeograph machines to run off uh, the parlay cards for the upcoming week in football. And then uh, he was from Canada, but really knew uh, like Niagara and Canisius and those schools who got into playing with or betting on those schools too. So Yes, it was uh, interesting going through dental school with the gambling. And that's when uh, well, the Packers were there. It was really when I was there was the first uh, Super Bowl. And uh, quite exciting when the Cowboys would play and uh, the, the Packers. So some good times back there also. So dental student by day, bookmaker by night. This is, you know, you're living the life here, Vic. What, um... Do you open? Do you wind after graduating from dental school? Do you wind up opening your own practice? How, where do you go from there? Yes, uh, what I did is I went back to Southern California, and uh, in in Marina del Rey, California, I was like the first dentist there in the marina, and practiced there for for eight years, and then sold my practice and moved to uh, Las Vegas. And uh, started working with my then father-in-law, Leroy, at Leroy's when we had the one location downtown, Las Vegas. So, you know, you're a very successful dent. Marina Del Rey is a very prominent area. You're very successful. What makes you want to take that plunge to try to completely switch career paths after you've dedicated a good portion of your early life to dentistry? Well, that was, that was kind of, you kind of hit it. That was the problem. I started in dentistry when I was in high school working for that dentist that uh, uh, my cousin worked for. And he was an old German dentist. And he said, if you want to be a dentist, you have to learn certain things. The first thing you have to do, which I didn't understand there, is learn how to clean up. So he said, you got, first thing you have to do is go work for the janitor that cleaned up his, his dental office. So after doing that and doing a good job, then he made me the janitor after that. Now, this is when I'm in high school. And then he he said, well, I'll let you go and learn how to be a dental lab technician, which I did when I started undergrad in college. <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> at that time, uh, that, that was something for a, a young uh, young guy in college to learn how to make crowns and bridges. So then after four years of undergrad and going to dental school for four years and then practicing for eight years, I had about 20 years in dentistry. And dentistry can be a challenging thing. I mean, it has one of the highest suicide rates in the country. And the other thing is it's, it's, it's a difficult profession. I don't run into too many people that love going to the dentist. Yeah. I mean, if I heard of I heard it once, I heard it a thousand times, thank you. I love you, but I hate dentists. <laughs> it kind of plays. And then, you know, everybody's white-fisted. You know, it's kind of like uh, watching the big decisions in, in football <laughs> or basketball. They're all, but it's the tension, and it kind of trans, it transfers from that patient to you. And the other thing is really when you're a dentist, it's a one-way conversation. You're the only one that can talk. <laughs> So I, it just played on you, and then the, uh, I, I love dentistry, don't get me wrong, but then I had an opportunity to uh, to go into sports, which I loved all my life. So picked up with a six-month-old daughter and a year-and-a-half-old son and moved up here to uh, to Las Vegas and kind of never looked back. It was, it was great, but it was different. And came in a difficult time to make it as an independent bookmaker in Las Vegas. I, I find that fascinating because you know very few, you know you were so established, and I understand you know the, the dentistry is very challenging. But you had you know like you said twenty years under your belt, eight years professional, having your own practice. 
Um, what, what, you know, how how was that conversation with your wife, with your father-in-law, to say, hey, listen, <laughs> let's give up dent, or, or let's give up dentistry, and let's help run, you know, the fam- my, my my dad's business, um, and 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 run it, help run it in Vegas. Like that that must have been such a, you know, that's a crossroads in life that will change your life forever. How, how do you how, how, describe that situation? Do you remember making that making that decision at the time? Oh, yes. It, it, it was difficult in a way, but welcome in another way. You know, the one that was really upset was my mother, who could, could not understand. Uh, my dad supported me in every way. My wife, whose father was Leroy, grew up. Leroy owned thoroughbreds. He always went to the racetrack all the time. So for them, it was great. And I felt I was young enough, and you have to figure back then I was only, I was like 34 years old, and it wasn't like I'm going to forget how to be a dentist. If it didn't work out, we would probably know pretty fast, and I could either continue to practice in Nevada or go back to L.A. So it seems it was a huge decision, but I didn't fear it, and I kind of looked forward to it. So... Yeah, you did, believe me, raised a lot of eyebrows, and enough to raise the ocean, boy. It was something. Nobody could believe it. Some people don't believe it yet. It, it's, it, especially with a young family. You, know, you have two young kids, and, and what a big move. You know what I mean? Obviously, it, 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 it turned out to be you know the, a great move uh, and, uh, for you, but I'm, I'm just – it's such a – it's such a ballsy move to do it. I'm just trying to think, you know, every in, in your life, you just think of the times in which the crossroads of life, there's certain decisions that are the biggest ones. That had to be one of the biggest decisions, if not the biggest decision you've ever made. It, it is. You know, it's like Yogi used to say, I'm going to go for it, take it. I guess I took it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, no, but it's been a challenging a challenging life, and I think that that's what keeps you young is that you've got to keep having challenges. Uh, my opinion, the worst thing in life is is retiring because then you're just starting to die. Um, I, I lasted about two years after uh, my stint was up after selling the William Hill, so uh, <clears throat> I couldn't take it any longer. Uh, you, you, you only have so much time to do you know, to do the uh, whatever your wife wants you to do, you can only play so much golf or whatever. So you don't want to be caught in that trap on the couch just watching TV and rotting away. Man, I'm, so I, I can't wait to get to, you know, how you've adapted. If there's one person that's adapted, Vic, in, in this industry that knew when to zig, when you zigged when you had to zig, you zagged when you had to zag, it's you. And I can't wait to get into more of that. So, all right, so you, you moved uh, to, with your family. You, you, you start running Leroy's. Describe it. I heard that Leroy's downtown, the original Leroy's. It was, you know, it was something uh, everyone always talks about. It. It was, um, it was a, a very popular place. Um, you know, the gamblers, gamblers join, as they say. Can you just describe how it was and what the clientele was like and the atmosphere? Sure. Um, Leroy's was one of the all-time independent bookshops. Now, previously, it was, it was uh, called the Saratoga Race Book, and in those days. There were about nine independent books until the Stardust and then the Union Plaza came on with the hotels. Now, before books were in hotels, they had an agreement that the Asian sports books, they wouldn't serve food. And that the casino said they wouldn't have a racing sports book. But that changed when the tax rate, the federal tax rate, went from 10% down to 2% on it. That you took, so that that was a big change, and that's when when I went in, and two percent was a huge, a huge amount because you paid it whether you won or lost the bet, and then subsequently it was reduced to a quarter of one percent. But I'm getting off the subject. Leroy's was a small, smoky place with a lot of old-time horse players, uh, and you know, horse players sometimes aren't the nicest people in the world, and very grumpy. And we had them, and then we had the sports players, which 
a lot of them were older, um, and then the younger sports players that came when we started off with a 25 foot by 100 foot place and then bought the bar next door or took over a bar next door, so doubled our space. But it was like smoking one or two packs of cigarettes a day to be in the place. If you look at old pictures, they we didn't have any televisions then. And like my son said, well, why didn't you have any television? Well, how'd you watch anything? Well, first of all, the races weren't broadcast. Second of all, we were lucky on sports to even get a replay on an NBA game on a Sunday. So there was no reason really to have televisions at that time. There were, there were stories. I mean, we had a murderer's, what we call murderer's room, that was us, um, Herbie, Herbie Hoops, Herbie Lambeck from New Jersey was our main odds maker. And he was, he was friends with Jack Franzi, uh, Bob Barbie and them. And they would all get together and come out with a line. And then we'd have guys like Bobby, the hunchback, Parent, and somebody, you know, all the well-known wise guys line up to play our line. So we had everything from the dollar players in horses up to the $1,000 players in sports. It was a very interesting place. If you if you remember the movie Casino, <clears throat> our book is in the movie for like, I think, a minute six, uh, where uh, the guy says, I'm going to put your effing head through that little... You know, we had those little windows with a hole in the middle he could talk to. And uh, the character Spilato said he was going to put his head through that wall, that little hole in that window. So Leroy's was, it really was, it was filled with, with guys, Dick the Pick, uh, uh, Montana Mel. We had all, everybody had nicknames there. And it was a true game and run onion place. It seemed just like yesterday. Go ahead. So, so I know her, you mentioned Herbie Hoops. Herbie Hoops is a legendary name in the business. Um, can you tell me, you know, how you kind of met Herbie or how he became your odds maker? How did you wind up bringing him on board and, and what that relationship was like? Well, Herbie was a confirmed bachelor, and he lived downtown in a in a motel. Uh, it was called the. Uh, Queen of Hearts Motel, which is about a block and a half off of Fremont Street. I can tell you, he was in room 108 because that was the number we always had a call for me. To, he wasn't there. We needed to get get a hold of him. Uh, that's, an ama- was, that's amazing memory you have, Vic. <laughs> well, if you call it any time, you, uh, you would remember it, too. So he uh, <clears throat> he just started hanging out and then he kind of adopted us, and then he knew the people that that we as new, new new kids on the block didn't know, and he really knew the angles of the game, and with his knowledge of how to make odds and everything, and his connections, it made us competitive uh, with the other places. So uh, he was the story about Herbie is he left New Jersey. Because he had made a booked a big bet on the Mets with the Miracle Mets, and when they won, so I think he he watched the last game at the airport, got on the plane, and never went back. So that's how he got to, and that's how he got here. <laughs> I love him. So man, that, that's just amazing. So how, how does you know? I think it's fascinating how there's odds makers. How do you can how do you convince a guy to you know set your odds without get, letting him want it to bet bet into you? Uh, you know, how do you make them say, "Listen, you're going to side with me. You're going to work for us, and I'm going to make sure I, I pay you accordingly." And how do you know what the fine line is to make sure you pay them enough so that they you know they don't do the wrong thing or they don't want to just say, "I want to you know go into business for myself." Well, it's integrity. You know, you have to have a person that has a lot of integrity. And, and of course, just like you say, we knew it right then. How can you make somebody that's betting also be your odds maker? Well, in my opinion, it makes a little, a better odds maker if they have a little skin in the game. Now, whatever number we would put up, he would never bet into with us. A number would have to move. And then, of course, in those days, it was a, 
it was a lot more of, uh, it wasn't as quite as smooth as it is today, but we had, that's when, you know, when Roxy Roxborough started his sports consulting business, and even before Roxy, we had Bob Martin and Herbie and Bob, so we knew what everybody else had. So I would have known if, if he was getting into us, which he, he wouldn't. Until, you know, sometimes it became when we needed him at the opposite side and it helped us uh, with, uh, with our book. Fascinating stuff, uh, Vic. This this is great. So yeah, Leroy's um, it, it now starts to develop a name. You, you start being competitive, and you, you're mentioning such great names. You know, Bob Martin, Herbie Hoops, and, and Roxy. What, what um, how, you know, Roxy's such a, such an iconic name in the business. How big was was you know? Right now we're like going into the early '80s. Maybe this was like mid 70s like you know late 70s yes. early 80s so how does how does roxy now come in and and how does he help your organization well well roxy helped everybody everybody in the industry when bob martin was to the point i mean he had a lot of problems with the government so roxy just was in the right right place at the right time but he also knew the business now Roxy got here in about 75, I believe, and uh, was a pretty smart guy. Then. And he was a hippie, drove a Volkswagen, had hair down to his butt. And uh, and then when Bob Martin was no, no longer going to be the guy, all of a sudden Roxy <clears throat> cut his hair. He was in a, coat, a suit and tie every day and got a big breaks with Scotty Shetler, and uh, Chris Andrews were up at the Calneva, Club Calneva in Reno. And they hired him as their their odds maker. And he started what was called Las Vegas Sports Consultants. And he, then he kept adding other books on in his network. So all the books were paying him. Now, in those days, he would call us with injuries and updates. Now, as you can imagine, you know, the Caesars Palaces were at the top and the Leroy's were at the bottom. So it took a long time to get that information. And then what happened is that it came along with the, uh, with the uh, <coughs> fax machines. So then we all had fax machines. So we all got to know it approximately right on time, the same time. And then it kept evolving. And then Moxie lasted to just before the turn, turn of the latest century and uh, saw that he didn't believe it with the electronics and the Internet, that there was so much information out there that his business was not as relative as it was before. So that's when, when Roxy got out of it. But Roxy, well, he taught, going back to Herbie Hoops, every day it was his, his first, their first call was to each other. So that's how... I think we sustain. Now it's very difficult um, to make money as an independent bookmaker back then. You didn't have any slot machines or anything to support you. So you had to be pretty good. And it was just very thin margins. And when the law changed to allow <coughs> bookmakers to run operations for other licensed casinos in the state, that's when the opportunity came for for us at Leroy's to expand. We were the first to expand to satellite locations. And with technology tying it all together, it made it much more efficient, economically feasible, and plus that we we had the northern Nevada people and the southern Nevada people who had different favorites, like in those days, all of northern Nevada was for the 49ers or the Raiders, and and the Rams down here south with the Chargers. So that allowed us to get more of action both ways on, on those teams. So that was the next big thing that happened with us. So, yeah, I, I want to get into that with Leroy's expanding to be in several locations. This was, at the time, was such an innovative idea. And, I'm, you know, if, 
correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys were the first ones, and you, you yourself was the first one to realize if we could be in several locations, essentially, and have one chart be able to book from one centralized location, um, the business would grow exponentially. Uh, how did you come up with that idea? What, you know, what triggered you? Because it's, you know, right now, everybody does it, but back then, it was so innovative. Yeah, well, it was first of all, it was the law changing and the technology uh, changing, and really came at that time. We had CBS, the computer company, and we were selling systems to all the casinos to run their sports books. And uh, with each casino, we would you know sell a computer system and make quite a bit of money on it. What happened is when the guy that's really works with me now, a lifelong friend, Bob Kaczynski, was working at the Las Vegas Hilton. And so the, at that time, you had the Las Vegas Hilton. We sold them a system. Then the Flamingo Hilton, we sold them a system. And then the Reno Hilton, and then the Laughlin Hilton. And then he, he really came up. Oh, and this is when... when uh, um, the internet and using his capabilities just came about. He came up and said, why can't we just run them all? Why can't we have one system? And then that gave me the idea to, why can't we do the same with other, other books and other locations at other casinos? So that's how it really came about. Now, Bob, who still works with me, I was really upset with him. He said, you cost me a ton of money. He says, no, in the long run, you're going to make more. And he was right because it opened the door for us to be the operators at the other casinos that didn't want to take the risk themselves. Mm-hmm. But that's how, how it came down. It wasn't all me. I can't take 100% credit for it, but we were the first one that went out to other licensees and uh, started networking them. But it's you know I think it's 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 it should be noted it's such a great thing to be able to think uh, long term kind of take one step back to take two steps forward to know that hey listen I can't sell a system to each one of these casinos but you know what if I'm able to get all these casinos to be able to subscribe to this um, one system for the whole group and then everybody's going to subscribe to that um, it, it was it was you know at the time and, and you know it was just such a it's it's such a forward thinking. Um, uh, well, isn't this like Spanky? Isn't the same thing happening today uh, with all these states and they want to keep it within their same state? What is, you know, it's not that much different now. Now we have to get away with from the time I was in high school, 1961, and the Wire Act. That has to be that has to be changed. It makes no sense now. Uh, we have to have something if these places are going to make it, uh, and we're seeing it now. We've known it forever. We were just lucky because we were in Nevada uh, and, and not so much a home team favorite. But now the Jersey, you know, New Jersey books are, are definitely getting more uh, on the Eagles and the, and the Ravens and the Giants and the Jets and the Patriots. Whereas down in Mississippi, all they're getting is really action on the Saints and the Southern School. So it's it's not so much different than it was before. The networking has to be expanded if the business in the long run is going to be successful. We can't just keep going on with all these guys spending so much money and still losing in these new jurisdictions uh, it's not good for the players, and it's not good for the bookmakers. Absolutely, I definitely want to touch base on that um, uh, in, in a couple of minutes. I just want to kind of go over okay. the timeline. But you make a great point that the Wire Act is 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 the big hurdle that we need to overcome to be able to go uh, uh, interstate and, and 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 national with the, with one organization. Um, so so the other thing, yeah, go ahead. Going back in this timeline. The other thing that really changed sports racing was satellite television. And that was a really uh, major factor in the growth of the books. And uh, I remember right when satellite dishes came out, 
it was it was seven thousand to buy one of those big seaband dishes, and people thought it was crazy. But it was one of the first that had one at Leroy's downtown, <laughs> and in, in those days it was all on open air where it wasn't uh, regulated. You heard the open mics uh, and things like that. So we that allowed us to start drawing people into our our uh, into Leroy's, but that changed the industry for had so many people. They love to watch games. They love to wager on games they can watch more than games they can't. So that was a significant part of the growth of the sportsbook industry, also. Yeah, I, I used to, you know, Scotty Shetler in his book, he, he was talking about how there would be guys that would, you know, the, the race wouldn't be broadcast, and there would be a guy that would just get the results, and he would just kind of make up on how the race, you know, he'd make up a, a, a one or two minute dialogue on how the race was so that people could listen to it, but it really, you know, on how he thought it was in his mind. But um, you know, to, it's what a big, what a different experience to be able to listen to a fake of, uh, race versus watching things happen um, in real time. So uh, you know that, that that must have been incredible. How big did the business grow at Leroy's just uh, f- from that satellite? Oh, it was it's unbelievable. But the races are another thing. I mean, it was great for the time uh, that. Uh, we call them recreations of the race, and Joey DeLuca, one of the disseminators, would, would come over the uh, speaker system. But what was nice about it is we always had horses or steam horses, and even if they never hit the board, he would always give them a, a call during the race to make sure that all the players knew that their horse wasn't scratched. <laughs> How beautiful. I mean, past posting was unbelievable. He, uh, unbelievable in those days happen all the time. Those days, uh, we didn't get the results. We couldn't get results out of Florida until a half an hour after the race was over. Uh, just different times when you had to do the best you could do in those days, try to stay ahead of the people <clears throat> that were, that were past posting you. But that was racing and then, yeah, it grew. And we went paramutual, which I never thought we would. But uh, it's all for racing or for the book. It increased the handle, of course. But uh, unfortunately, racing is dying every year. I mean, our handle over about the past 10 years has gone from about statewide about $800 million down to we're lucky if we hit $250 million now. Whereas sports has gone from a billion up to up to five billion, wow. which kind of is is the sign of what's happening these days. After Leroy's or during Leroy's, you get CBS where you're selling these systems, um, right. and, and and every sports book essentially in town is using CBS at the time. You were the only game in town essentially. Were there any other software ticket right softwares that were out there, or any competitors, or? Not, not really. There was one company about the same time, but they had taken a banking system and tried to convert it to a sportsbook system. And if you think it's bad today, for example, with the European systems coming here and then not being Americanized, that was about the difference between the system we developed to CBS versus uh, the banking system. <laughs> so. Uh, Yes, the thing is, I I sat down with a programmer from Pakistan who didn't know anything about sports or race. He didn't know the difference between a double header and a daily double. (laughs) And sat sat across from him at at the desk at work every day, teaching him the business. So it was really created by somebody in the business. Mm. And it was a true bookmaker system, not not a banking system that tried to be adapted to something it wasn't in it wasn't in, uh, supposed to do beautiful so so uh, so now uh, in, in you know american way you got cbs when now does things start dwindling down uh, let's talk about uh, cbs you know, cbs is still around right i know william hill did they buy it or well cb yeah well yes when uh, 
when we sold American Wagering, CBS was a Leroy's and CBS were subsidiaries of American Wagering. So when William Hill bought American Wagering, they got the two companies with it. Uh, the uh, <clears throat> CBS is it's more now a proprietary system that that William Hill uses. It's still unbelievable because you have to remember this is, was. 30, 35 years ago when we first developed it. But the, the basic engine, if you call it, is still the same thing. And and what has been done as, as new applications come on, they've been bolted on. But the, but the basic system is still running the whole show. And that's a credit to, to your design with, with, the, with your Pakistani uh, uh, programmer. Oh. You, you kind of you built something that, that still is relevant, that's still being used today, um, you know, some 35 years later. So that's a testament to, to yes. your ingenuity and, 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 and your foresight. So that's great, uh, Vic. So, you know, just to give you a thing, I, we, I had guys betting in Vegas in the early 2000s, and Leroy's was always such a prominent shop for us. And it was always one of the best places. We never got kicked out. We always got a fair shake. We always, you know, Leroy's was one of those places. You know, we used to play downtown, and I think it was Fitzgerald's you guys were in, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Um, and, um, and and you guys, which is the, currently the D now, but, yeah, you were in Fitzgerald's, um, and, and it was such a right. such a solid shop, and, and everybody, it was, it was one of the, the bookmakers, uh, one of the, you know, that we always looked towards, and we always knew that they're not going to throw you out, they're going to treat you fairly, so... I, you know, I just wanted to say thank you. I know it's, you know, some tw- almost 20 years later, but I really, uh, you guys really ran such a solid, tight ship, and um, and and I have nothing but good things to say about our experience with Leroy's in the past. I appreciate it. We 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 did have a really good team. We have a good team now too. So it's all if you can just get over that or, or get over the fact it's just not you. You're made by your team and. Uh, that's the way I always have approached business. So, or a team. Okay, so let's talk about now how Leroy's now is dissolved. You sell to you, you guys sell out to sell to William Hill. What happens now? Where, where's where is your role in in in, in the sale? And and what do you what do you start doing now? Well, what I did is when we sold to William Hill in 2012. Uh, they uh, wanted me. I stayed on with them as their chairman of the board of the U.S. operation. And now it was really, in, in, in my opinion, to be to be truthful, not to be mean, but it was really more a titular type of, uh, of job. And uh, they just it was more of a non-compete thing, Spanky, than than anything else. Uh, and to be honest, uh, they, they being the, the British had different, uh, different ideas than, than I had, how, you know, how to run a business. And, and um, I stayed around for the two years and then didn't, uh, didn't do much for the next two years and got tired of it and then started uh, the company that we're with now. Okay, so, so I know when William Hill buys out Leroy's, it also buys Calneva, it also buys Lucky's. Um, yep. Uh, how, how did you get along with all those guys, you know, the Lucky's and, and, and the Calneva? Um, did, did they keep, those, you know, obviously, they, you know, the, which executives did they keep, and, and how was your relationship with them? Well, what happened now? Uh, the Calneva was run by uh, Jeff Siri, and Jeff and I were all always friends, and, and we were really friendly competitors uh, over all the years. They were really the second that went in, and uh, they really started to take over most of the locations, some of our locations in northern Nevada, because that's where they were based, and they, they knew most of the people much better than I did. Now, uh, Lucky's with, with Joe Asher, I had known Joe Asher when he was with Cantor Fitzgerald, and he and Leah Maitis, they wanted to come out here, and they wanted to buy Leroy's. And we could never come to any agreement on the sale, sale of Leroy's. And then I didn't hear from Joe for 
a couple years, and then he was here on his own, opening a company called Lucky's or Brandywine uh, Gaming. And then he was out there competing against us, and he got uh, got Jimmy Vaccaro to come to work from him, and I had just or uh, brought back Jimmy. He was down in in the Bahamas. Brought him back as our PR PR director at at Leroy's. He worked for us, and he came in two years after that and said, "I'm going to. I got another offer. I'm going to take and that." I subsequently I found out obviously it was going to work with Joe at Brandywine and John Gone, Michael's son John uh, was a huge investor in Brandywine so Joe came in and had a, a really a, a good smart plan to come into the into the Nevada market including finding a little place up in uh, northern Nevada that he had his main location at so then they started competing. They, they they were on hard times at the time it came around to William Hill coming. So when William Hill I was smart enough to know William Hill wasn't coming over here spending a week and they spent maybe two or three days with us that they weren't looking at to buy somebody else. In fact, they would ask me, <clears throat> who would you buy? Who do you think else is? Uh, possible candidates for, for us to acquire. And, of course, I told them that Cal Neva would be the best one they could acquire. It would give them almost all the, the smaller places in Nevada, for sure, and some of the larger ones. And they asked me about Brandywine. I said, well, I would, to be honest, I said I wouldn't buy them now because I don't think they're going to make it in another six months. So, but somehow... They were uh, determined, and when they told me, or they put Jeff and I together, and we had no problems of them buying us and thought it was great. And, of course, we did all right, and Jeff did all right <laughs> yeah. in the purchase price. But then when they brought in in um, <clears throat> Brandywine, we just didn't understand why they were bringing in Brandywine. And uh, at that time... We weren't the fondest of Joe at the time, either er, not speaking for Jeff, but I think we both felt the same way. Uh, he was kind of a latecomer to the party, and he was going out and competing against uh, against us and and uh, either undercutting us or, or trying, which is all, you know, it's all fair and good. And business is business. But that's... Uh, how it came down, but to say the least, Jeff and I were very shocked when he found out that William Hill was buying brandy wine. Also, okay, so so you know, um, you know, just to look at the, the downtown landscape. I know you guys were in Fitzgerald's. We had that little triangle. We, we bet the coast at the Fremont. We, we we'd have uh, uh, you guys. Uh, Leroy's was at Fitzgerald's. Binion's had Calneva, and um, and 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 Lucky's right. was all the way down at the Plaza. And, and, and right. uh, so it was a you know I remember my runners would always say you know it's a tough walk to go all the way down there and the limits were always the least at Lucky's so um so I I understand you know I'm just trying to remember it now Lucky's was the pro- was easily the weakest joint out of the three acquired uh, 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 companies how does um how does Joe oh. Asher then become a, a, you know you know, did he did he just you know get a lottery ticket here? Like you know, he was about to go under, and now he's the CEO of of probably one of the biggest bookmakers in the nation. Um, right. Uh, yeah, I I don't know if it's quite the odds of hitting the lottery, but I think it's it's pretty close to it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, I. Uh, I personally question my, at that time, I was ready. I was really tired. It was, it's a tough business. Uh, and I was tired and I said, you know, I don't want to do the day to day operations, but I always thought that Jeff would be the guy. He's, he was in the business for 30, 30 or more years and really understood the business and pretty easy to work with. Uh, Joe was an attorney and um, really, didn't know the business as well as Jeff did. 
So that kind of surprised me, and uh, I questioned them, and they said, well, we'll see what happens. And they said, um, Jeff will be the CEO, and Joe will be the CEO. You'll be the chairman of the board, and you come back to me and tell me if they're doing good or bad, is what was told to me. So that's how that's how it de- developed. And uh, I have to say, now having the hindsight, that uh, Joe hasn't done a bad job. Like you say, he's really the uh, CEO of the, one of the largest companies uh, in bookmaking now. Now, I'm not saying that I agree with all his, the methods to his, his madness, so to speak, or the way he runs the business. We're, we're, we're different kind of businessmen, but uh, he still has uh, helped grow that company uh, very well. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. You know, there's nothing he. You know, it's um, it's it's just you know when, when people think of bookmakers, we're, we're not thinking of uh, of Joe Asher uh, as a bookmaker. Uh, well, he's a, he's Joe, a, Joe Joe's not a book, Joe's not a bookmaker. Uh, Joe is just an attorney uh, and a businessman. I mean. Uh, uh, Joe's very, uh, very good businessman, and he's very fortunate to have uh, Nick Bogdanovich over there. Yes, he's a real bookmaker, and Nick is is the real McCoy. Absolutely, but Joe. I don't, I don't consider Joe a bookmaker. I don't think he really even considers himself a bookmaker. Um, he's more of a tries to run a business now. He does have the, I guess, the last say. I don't agree with all his policies. And, you know, one like is, is a favorite to all of us is he does cut people off if they win. And I've always felt that I, I want people to bet with me. I'll, I'll control how much I, I'll give them, but I want them to bet to me. I want to use them for knowledge. Not uh, throw them out and then just have them get another beard to come in and still bet with us and not know. Uh, and that's probably one of the main differences between how Joe runs his business and uh, how we run ours. So it's interesting because, you know, we, we, William Hill obviously is notorious for kicking out winners and, and, you know, it's well documented. I have videos of it on, on my thing and, and I know, you know, so, you know, several people that have been kicked out by William Hill. But is it Joe that adopted this policy? Because William Hill in England, before, uh, before they even you know, buy all these companies here, William Hill is just notorious or, and, and several companies in England are notorious for just kicking winners out. Did they, um, bring in that to Joe or did Joe adopt, you know, did, did Joe adopt that methodology or did Joe, would did Joe always have that mindset of, listen, winners are not welcome here. Uh, you know, if you have, if you have half a brain, we don't want you playing. I, I think he's adopted it and been converted to that way of thinking. For example, when, when Hill was, uh, really entertaining me and wanted us to sell. They, they, they took me or I got, they paid for me to go to, to London and up to Leeds and they wind and dine me is what I want to say. But I, to see their operation, I mean, they do have a room that has pictures of like FBI's 10 most wanted. They're actual pictures on the wall. Now it's a different over there. So they have to have, guys in their shops looking for these people to identify them. And they actually give ticket writers in the UK rewards for seeing these people and denying them. That they always felt, you know, the, the thing even what Ralph Topping told me that was their chairman says, you know, why would you have somebody that beat you all the time? Why would you let them keep playing with you? And after trying to explain the same way I did to you, is that we it's a way of paying for their knowledge. And if you limit it, you can make more money listening to what they say than, than cutting them off. And ultimately here, they're going to send somebody else in there to bet for them anyway. And, and how did he and respond to that? Oh. How did he respond to that? 
he didn't. He says, no, I, I, we just don't want to keep having people come in that beat us. So what, what can you say? It's just a, it's not that they're right or they're wrong, but I think that all approaches makes more sense to me. But I don't think, first of all, I don't think the British people are bookmakers at all. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> no, I really don't. I mean, when they say they hold these, you know, 13, 14% over there, it's mainly because they don't have the binary system that we have. They have it's always three ways. Yeah. A three-way proposition, not a two-way proposition. And that really, you know, that's much more, uh, much more beneficial to the bookmaker to have a three-way than a two-way. You know, it's like if we if we could just take par legs the rest of our life without taking any straight bets, we would hold a higher percentage also. Uh, they, they're like insurance companies over there. I don't think they, they really ever take any chances as bookmakers there. Absolutely, you know, you know, I I 100% agree with everything you just said, Vic. This is, it's, you know, it's for somebody like me on the other side of the counter, just to see William Hill expand as much as they have, and and how their methodologies and 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 their uh, their the way they they profile their customers and how they can implore a proper risk uh, risk uh, management. Uh, to be able to accept all customers and like you said if you've done it for so many years and you were okay if, if guys like you said like um, you know Scotty Shetler and Jeff Seary and Chris Andrews and I've all these guys that have been just doing this Richie Bacheleri, Vinnie Maiulo, all these guys I've interviewed yeah. everybody knows how to do it Jimmy Vaccaro these guys have, have done it and this is the you know the US method and like you said in England it's just completely different um, and you know, I think a lot of it has to do with you know they're okay with getting you know kicked out. Hey, you get kicked in the ass, you say, oh okay, thank you. It's like nothing, you know. What I mean, we're here in America, you know. Tell me if I'm wrong, Vic, but we don't like to get kicked in the ass and say, you know, go take a hike. That's not, you know, if, if, if it's, it's just not an American thing to do. Listen, if I'm good at what I do, all right, let me use your information. We can work something together. Yeah, but you know, you brought up, you're 100% on. It's just like when we were talking about early days. How do you stop the guys that are from making the numbers? How do you compensate them enough? After being in this for 100 years, you just learn that this is what you give to certain people. And But you got to give a little bit to everybody, don't you? Whatever, whatever it is. Listen, I, when we used to book even at Lewis, we had times during the NBA where we really were having problems with with the uh, uh, timer at Minnesota for the uh, Timberwolves, the scores coming in. And they were right on the total every time. Now, at that time, so we didn't know what was happening, we being the bookmakers here, but we knew we had to lower our limits. There's a, there's a huge difference between how we do things and how how they do think so. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I guess they came from a really competitive thing, too, when you think about the Ladbrokes and, and the Hills and the Corals and uh, uh, Patty Power and all that. It became very competitive also. Okay, so let's take us to today now, Vic. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about U.S. bookmaking? I, I just interviewed Robert, so um, and he's obviously uh, he, he loves you and he says great things about you. I know you guys have such a mutual respect for each other. Can you um you know just describe on every, what you in everything in everything but politics? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's good. You know, it's funny that you say that because I, I think it's sad that that friendships are lost because of politics. I think it's such a shallow oh, no. thing. It's crazy. There's people that I've known that if they have different political views, they stop talking to each other. And if, I, in my opinion, if you're that shallow to not maintain a friendship because of politics, is just it's mind-boggling. Like how how could something that somebody on TV that you've probably never met in your life, um, gonna your love or hate for them, gonna overcome somebody that you know personally in a friendship in re, in the real world in real life? I just find it unbelievable. No, it's really, it, we really have a good time with it more 
and that's what makes the country what it is. You, you know, I'm I'm worried about the Democrats now. We, they need to stay strong because you got to have some. You can't let one party become so much more dominant over the other one, in my opinion. But Robert and I go at it all the time, but we're joking more than anything. Absolutely. So, but he's, he's good. Our business now, U.S. bookmaking. So what we have done since we started off with U.S. Amnesty, and we're in about 28 states, but it's very difficult to capture the market on an Internet without spending anywhere from 500 to $1,300 for every customer and, and acquisition costs. And then PASLA, when it was reversed, that that was our idea that it would be reversed at one time, really in a near time frame. So when PASLA was reversed, we were really set to start U.S. bookmaking. And we went a little bit different. We didn't run out to New Jersey and try to get in where all the competition was. We found a tribe in, in Albuquerque that was willing to put us in. And since, and it really came to Richie Bassolari too, that in New Mexico, if they, anything that was legal in the U.S., the tribe could also do. So the one at Santa Ana Star down there, John Serencioni, we talked to him and he was ready to go. And from, it took us 45 days to get open, and we opened down there, surprised to everybody because nobody had thought about New Mexico. And to kind of give you an idea, Albuquerque is about 1.3 million people, and Las Vegas is what, about 2.5, about twice as big. And in Las Vegas, how many books do we have? 100? We were the only one down there mm. with half the people. And then we had, we got the second one is Letta. Another um, Indian town. Now these are nice casinos. These are like a Sunset Station or one of any of the station's properties. They have hotel rooms and full, you know, fourteen hundred slot machines, forty fifty cable games. They're not small places. Uh, we just opened another one in uh, <clears throat> near Santa Fe, New Mexico, last week. Uh, we will, we have a contract with a tribe in Colorado uh, that is going to open on May 1st. Uh, and uh, we have a contract with a tribe in Iowa. And real close, have an agreement with a tribe in Michigan. So we're just trying to grow a little bit by little bit and kind of, as we like to say, stay in our lane. And we don't have, <clears throat> of course, we don't have the money to compete with the fan duels and draft kings and hell, and hell for that matter. But we have a little niche where we can we can get open a lot faster and we feel we can give them better service and better bookmaking. With a guy like uh, Walker, we have that, uh, the ability. I mean, he's good at what he does. And these guys get a first shot at making some, some money and bringing people into their casinos. So that's where we are now. We keep looking for some uh, places that other people, we, we, you know, I, I even talked to uh, Joe Asher and said, you know, you can't win every casino in the country. So just throw, you know, throw us the crumbs and we'd be happy to take them over. So, so that's kind of in a nutshell what we're trying to do. Beautiful. Yeah, you know, Vic, it's it's amazing how you went from dentistry to bookmaker to software uh, 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 provider, and now you're now, you know, going into U.S. bookmaking, where you're now going to be a service provider to all these different places. It's just how you've adapted in so many different aspects of the business, and the contributions you've made is obvious. I don't know of anybody that has worn as many hats as you have um, and um, you're 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 unbelievable, Vic, and and uh, and and you you really are a legend in the business. Yeah, well, you're you're too kind. All all I can tell you, Spanky, is you gotta look. Whenever I go anywhere or do anything, 
I look at other applications of, of technology and stuff and say, how can I use that in my business? I mean, this is what led us to, to doing the first kiosk and doing the first phone app to get the first satellite and all this. It's not that um, that smart. It's just that I look at other angles. How do I tap this to help our business? Well, if it wasn't so, that, if it wasn't that smart, Vic, any everybody would do it. So it's easy for you to say, um, we, we don't have. Not not everybody has your innovative abilities and, and your your foresight to be able to think of these things. So you really have made such an, a mark on this business and an impact that'll forever be known, and um, your legacy will live on forever, uh, you know, long after you, I, and 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 you know several generations are gone. And I really. You know, thank you so much. I know you know you're a busy guy for coming on the podcast and taking the time to explain your life history, break it down, and um, and and tell me how you guys. I wish you nothing but the best of luck and success for U.S. bookmaking, and um, and and it's truly an honor to have you on a podcast, Vic. Oh, well, I really thank you. You're a good guy, Spanky, in spite of what Asher might say about you. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Awesome. Yeah, I love it, too. <laughs> Sounds good, uh, Vic. Okay, buddy, thank you so right. much. You're welcome. Thank you. Wow. I hope you guys liked that as much as I did. That was just so much fun. He is such a cool guy. Um, and he knows so much, seen so much, done so much, and will continue to do so much. He just doesn't stop. Um, Vic Slurno, what a class act. And uh, such a pleasure to have him on. Thanks so much for the time. Until next time.